Amen. Thank you so much, guys. Thank you, choir. Thank all of you for taking part, singing and worshiping this morning. It's been a great service, and thank you for being a part of it. If you brought your Bibles, turn to 1 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians, we're going to look at several passages this morning, first beginning with 1 Corinthians, familiar passage. 1 Corinthians chapter 11, we'll read through uh, verse 23, beginning verse 23 through verse uh, 31. I'm going to share with you this morning a sermon I've entitled, It's the Atoning Blood of Jesus. I'm going to be talking about the elements of the Lord's Supper and, of course, uh, focusing this morning on the blood. 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 23. For I received from the Lord that which I delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the same night in which he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it, and he said, Take, eat, this is my body, which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same manner, he also took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. This do as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread... And drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death till he comes. Verse 27, therefore, whoever eats this bread or drinks this cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of the body and the blood of the Lord. But let a man examine himself, and so let him eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For he who eats and drinks in, a, in an unworthy manner eats and drinks judgment to himself, not discerning the Lord's body. For this reason many are weak and sick among you, and many sleep. For if we would judge ourselves, we would not be judged. So this morning we're going to be observing the ordinance of the Lord's Supper. Jesus instituted this ordinance uh, on the night of his arrest just prior to his crucifixion. There are two elements involved in the Lord's Supper, the bread, the cup. And after Jesus had blessed the bread, he said, this is my body. So he takes the bread, he blesses it, and then he says, this is my body. Now, of course, he's speaking symbolically of his body. He's, uh, it wasn't his body literally, but figuratively, he's saying, this is, this is my body. Uh, no, it's not his body. It wasn't his body because he's sitting there with his disciples. He says symbolically, figuratively, this, this bread will represent my body. Now, however, there are some who teach the doctrine of transubstantiation. Transubstantiation simply means that they believe that the body... Uh, the bread and the cup become the actual body and the blood of Jesus. They honestly believe that. Therefore, based on that belief, then one is given the false, in, false impression that it's a must that you participate in the Lord's Supper for salvation. And so we have to be very careful. We, we come together to observe the Lord's Supper, and as we do, we come together for a specific purpose. When a person comes to Christ and believes in him 
at that very moment, we, re we receive all the benefits of the body and the blood uh, that was offered there at the cross. So therefore, the question is, why do we observe the Lord's Supper? Well, we find that in verse 24 uh, through 26. He says, verse 24, and after he given thanks, he broke it, and he said, Take, eat, this is my body, which is broken for you. And then here it is, do this in remembrance of me. Okay, verse 25, in the same manner, he took the cup. After supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. This do as, you often, uh, as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. And so the point is, we observe the Lord's Supper, not to have part of salvation, but we observe the Lord's Supper simply to remember Jesus, his sacrificial death, his, uh, uh, his sacrificial death, his substitutionary death. We are to remember his suffering. We are to take this time and just focus upon remembering what he did there on the cross. Would you not agree with me that there are times in our lives when we have a tendency to grow cold in remembering Jesus? We have a tendency to, to kind of grow casual in different ways in our Christian life when it comes to living out the Christian life and we need to come back from time to time and remember what Christ did for us on the cross. We partake of the Lord's Supper and we do this in remembrance of Him. So the point is we need this time, this time we need this time to renew our love and to, new, to renew our commitment to him. And I pray that you'll do that today. We'll have a special time today for us, during this time, for you to just listen to God speak to your heart. Some things may be out of place in your life in regards to priorities, and this is a good time for you to come around the Lord's table, and as you partake of the Lord's Supper, as a believer, you do this and remember what he's done for you. And use this time as a time of renewal, a time of revival. So if you're taking notes, first of all, the reason for the Lord's Supper, we do this in remembrance of him. has no special grace added to it, no salvation added to it. You can partake the Lord's Supper and you can die and, not, and miss heaven altogether. It's about receiving Christ into your life, trusting him, believing the gospel of his, his birth, death, resurrection, but the reason we come together for the Lord's Supper is we do this in remembrance of him. Now you have the elements of the Lord's Supper. Talk about that in just a few minutes. First of all, you have the bread. Now if you notice Jesus said, or Paul said in 1 Corinthians eleven twenty four, referring to Jesus, Jesus said, this is my body. So he's referring to the bread. This is my body which was broken for you. Now if you remember when Jesus died, the veil in the temple that separated the people from the Holy of Holies and the Ark of the Covenant, it was split from top to bottom. Now, there's an interesting phrase in Hebrews chapter 10. I want you to look at that just a minute. Hebrews chapter 10, we're going to look at verses 19 through 20. Hebrews 10. The writer says this in verse 19. Hebrews uh, 10, verse 19. Therefore, brethren, having boldness to enter the holiest by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way which he consecrated for us through the veil, that is, 
his flesh. Do you see the importance of the veil? The veil was split from top to bottom. His veil, his flesh is the veil. It was, it was torn from top to bottom. You ever thought it, it was torn? When they placed that crown of thorns on his head, the veil top, his flesh, was torn from top to bottom. Beginning with his head, they placed that crown of thorns on his head. Those thorns began to pierce into his flesh and scratch his flesh, and blood began to run down his face. His face he, was, he was a bloody person there on the cross, a bloody person. Uh, not long ago, some time back, we, had, we saw the Passion, you know, and the Passion was very, I mean, depicted, just think, it just depicted what it must have been like, and we know that it was far worse than what it really shown. But the passion showed Jesus was just totally in blood all over, just in that, in, that, uh, in that movie. So the flesh is the veil. It was torn from top to bottom. His brow was torn by the crown of thorns. His front, the front side of him, the back side of him, uh, it, was, it was scraped and torn by the lashing of the, the cat of nine tails, a, little, a whip that in the leather was sewn glass and, and pieces of metal and when they would whip him with that whip it would rip his flesh the veil was torn from top to bottom the veil Paul says his flesh and then the veil was torn when they drove that when they drove the nails through his hands and through his feet his veil the flesh was torn and of course his his side was pierced it was torn it was torn with a spear. And so the veil was torn. So the point when Jesus died, his veil, the veil in the temple was split. The veil representing his flesh was torn and it was split. And also another meaning of that splitting of the veil is that it opened up the, the presence of God to all people. You, anybody can come before the presence of God. Now a lost person can come before the presence of God and pray and ask Christ to save them. And that's the first prayer God will ever hear from a lost person is for them to save them. So this morning, please remember how his flesh, his body, was torn for you and for me. So just take a moment and think. All of that was done for us. And if I've often felt in my own personal life, if I was the only person on earth, Christ would have went through that just where I could be saved. Think of that. And so you have the element of the bread, and then you have the element of the cup, symbolic, uh, his blood. So the question then, why the blood? Why remember the blood? You know, the blood is, you know, a lot of people... When they see blood, they faint, they pass out. Blood is not, you know, it's not good to look at. It's not a pretty substance to look upon. A lot of people can't handle blood. I, I was at one time that way. God called me to preach, and I never passed out the sight of blood anymore. So surrender to preach, and that'll help you a lot. Let me just say that. But seriously, blood is not something to look at. But we remember the blood. Um, that, that uh, you know, it goes back to where uh, uh, after Adam and Eve sinned in the garden, God made coats, of, he made coat, gave them coats of skin to cover them, furry coats. We don't think much of that, but he used those coats 
of skin to cover the nakedness of sinful man. And that was a foreshadowing of Calvary, the blood. Never before had anything been killed in the garden. Is a perfect place. The animals were at peace with each other. There was no tusk being used by the other animals. No animals were biting and killing one another. But then God, God, God took the blood of an animal for man to have a covering over his sin. Think of that. First time ever. That animal never had done anything. That animal was that animal wasn't a sinner. But God took the innocent blood and took the coat, the skin, to cover the nakedness of sinful man. And all of that pointed to Calvary, that sacrificial lamb at the Passover that we heard about just a few minutes ago in song. That sacrificial lamb there at the Passover, the sprinkling of the blood on the doorpost of the house there in Egypt, all of that pointed toward Calvary. Pointed toward Calvary. Jesus shed his blood and became our Passover. That sacrificial system of sacrificing animals for the blood, all of that was established there in the Old Testament, but it was all a picture of the atonement. You see, God kept before his people constantly an object lesson, the shedding of blood of animal sacrifices just to remind people, just to remind people of the fact that without the blood, there would be no atonement for sin. We need to remember that today. And then there was, there was one day a year that was set aside for atonement. Leviticus chapter 16. Look at that just a moment. Leviticus 16. One day a year. Leviticus 16, verse 29. And this shall be a statue forever for you. This is going to be a this is going to be forever to his people. In the seventh month, on the tenth day of the month, you shall afflict your souls and do no work at all, whether a native or of your own country or a stranger who dwells among you. Verse 30. For on that day the priest shall make an atonement one day a year for you to cleanse you that you may be clean from all of your sins before the Lord. So one day of the year, one day, there now in the Old Testament, the high priest, he was the central figure in all of this, in the atonement, the day of atonement. And so one day a year, this high priest would go through all of this ceremonial cleansing. He'd wash, and he would clean, and he'd wash, and he would clean. And then he would take the sacrificial blood of two animals, I believe lambs. He would take the blood of those two animals, and he'd go behind that curtain. He'd go behind that veil. And behind that veil was the Ark of the Covenant. Do we have that Ark of the Covenant picture up? There it is. Now, that was behind the veil. And the Ark of the Covenant, the Ark... Uh, was a box, was a box. The word ark also means a casket. Noah's ark really was like a floating casket. It was a floating box. Same word, ark, casket, box, 
And on top of that box, that was the mercy seat. Inside that box, you had, you had Aaron's rod. You see the rod there in this picture. You had Aaron's rod that budded. You had a bowl of manna that fell from heaven that they collected and saved. Then you had the Ten Commandments. That was all in the ark of the covenant. And then on top, you had the mercy seat. And the mercy seat, that lid, was where the blood was sprinkled. And so the priest, one time a year, would take the blood of two animals, and he would go behind the veil, and he'd go to that ark of the covenant, and he'd take the blood of the first animal, and he'd sprinkle it over the ark, over that lid, over the ark of the covenant, over the mercy seat, mercy seat. And that was for himself. He had to ask God to purify and cleanse himself before he could pray for anyone else. And so then he would take another, uh, another a bowl of blood, and he would go behind, and there on top of the mercy seat, he would sprinkle that blood, and that was for the people. And so that blood would cleanse the people, their sins. But it couldn't remove their sins. You know what it did? It covered their sins. It was a covering. Atonement means to cover. Kofar is the Hebrew word. It means to cover, cover over. And so you just covered up. The difference in that priest in the Old Testament and the high priest Jesus in the New Testament, his blood not only covers our sin, but it does what? Cleanses us from our sins. That's the difference. That's the difference in what the blood does. That's the difference in who the priests are. So on the Day of Atonement, it covered the sins of the Old Testament saints. The atoning work of Christ removed the sins of the past from all of us. So the question is, how did Christ get his blood from Calvary? How did he get his blood from Calvary to the temp to the tabernacle, to that tabernacle that's built in heaven? Same dimension as the tabernacle that was built on earth. It's a pattern of that one that was in heaven. So how did he get his blood from here to there to offer his blood on our behalf? That's a good question. Look at John chapter 20. I'm about ready to close. John chapter 20. And we're going to look at verses. And this is important to read. Important information for you to know. You may be asked this question one day. Look at verse 11. John 20, verse 11. But Mary, now Jesus, she see, Mary sees the risen Lord. But Mary stood outside of the tomb weeping. And as she wept, she stooped down and she looked into the tomb. And she saw two angels in white sitting, one at the head, the other at the feet, where the body of Jesus had lain. And they said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? And she said to them, Because they've taken away my Lord, and I do not know where they've laid him. And now when she said this, she turned around and she saw Jesus standing there, but notice, but did not know that it was Jesus. Now remember the last person she saw on that cross, what that person looked like. I mean, um, Isaiah says that you couldn't even bear to look upon his face, upon his appearance. And so the last person she saw it was Jesus on that cross, but... Now she didn't even recognize Jesus. Verse 15, he said, Woman, who are you, uh, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? And she, supposing him to be the gardener, said to him, Sir, if you've carried him away, tell me where you've laid him, and, and I'll go take him away. And Jesus said, Mary. 
And she turned and she said, Rabboni, which is to say teacher. She recognized his voice. Jesus said to her, do not cling to me. Some translations says, don't touch me. For I've not yet ascended to my father, but I go to my brethren to say, and, but go to my brethren and say to them, I am ascended to my father and your father to let my God be your God. And Mary Magdalene came and she told the disciples that she had seen the Lord, that he had spoken these things to her. So she started to reach out and hug him. And she, he says, listen, don't. Don't, uh, don't touch me. I haven't ascended to the Father yet. I call this the first ascension, really. And so notice what happens in verse 19. The same day as evening, being the first day of the week, when the doors were shut, the same day that she saw him, then when the doors were shut, where the disciples were assembled, for the fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood in the midst and said to them, Peace be to you. And when, when uh, he'd said this, he showed them his hands, and then the disciples were glad when they saw it. And so Jesus said to them, Peace be to you, and as, as the Father sent me, I also send you. Now what about Thomas? And I won't read it. Thomas doubted, and Jesus said what? Come and touch me. Come, come touch me. Previously he said to Mary, Don't touch me. I haven't sent it to my Father. And then in the next few verses, he tells Thomas. So just in a matter of minutes perhaps, Jesus ascends into the Father. Now, what does he do when he goes to the Father? Now, remember, Christ is our high priest. He's after the order, not after the order of Aaron in the old Jewish economy, but Christ is a high priest after the order of Melchizedek, the high priest of all, meaning Christ is the high priest of all. Now, look at Hebrews 9, verse 11. Hebrews 9, verse 11. Let's look at this just for a moment. Hebrews 9, verse 11. But Christ came as high priest of the good things to come with greater and more perfect tabernacle, not made with hands, that is, not of this creation, not made here on earth, but made in heaven. Not, he, he went not with the blood of goats and calves, but with his own blood. Notice what happened. He entered the most holy place with what? His own blood, once and for all, never to offer another sacrifice. He's done it once, not every year as the Old Testament priest did, but he went in once and for all, having attained eternal redemption. Wow. And then back on earth and tells Thomas to touch me. And previously, he'd been in heaven carrying his own blood, not of bulls and goats, lambs, but his own blood, and placed that blood on the mercy seat for the eternal redemption of mankind. My goodness gracious. He entered once and for all, verse 12, into that holy place in heaven, having attained eternal redemption for us. You say, well, Brother Sammy, how did he get his blood to that temple in, at Tabernacle in heaven? On the day that Christ died, I'll repeat, on the cross, listen to this, that blood mingled down from that cross. It mingled from his face, mingled down his body, mingled down the wood, fell off on the ground, no doubt trickled some down the 
down the hill. Just imagine how that blood flowed down that old wooden cross. Now, let me ask you a question. Do you think, I don't know, I'm just asking you, do you think that it was a problem with the eternal God of heaven who created everything, even the cross that he was crucified on, do you think it was, that it was impossible for the eternal God of heaven to provide a container some way to catch that blood? You say, well, I don't know about that. I'm going to tell you what Psalm 56 verse 8 talks about. It talks about God catching all of your tears when you're going through a crisis in your life and you're just weeping and crying and he catches all of your tears. David said, you catch my tears and hold them in a bottle. If he can hold tears in a bottle, you think he'd work out something for Jesus to carry his blood <laughs> down to the new tabernacle? Well, sure he can. My goodness. Mm. He, just had, he just had a short time, but it don't take long for Christ to go to heaven and come back and go behind the veil, sprinkle his blood on the mercy seat. And you know, I think the blood's still there. I do. I think that blood will be there throughout all eternity on that mercy seat. I think it'll always, that we'll always be aware while we're there that that blood is still there. I think we'll know it's still there for our eternal redemption. We'll know it for our eternal redemption forever because Jesus Christ, the great high priest himself, put it there. It'll always be there. Just like the song said, Carrie, just a few minutes ago. Oh, boy, worried about the blood on the post? You don't have to worry about Jesus' blood. Your redemption is sealed, my friend. So we've come together today as God's people to partake of the Lord's Supper, to remember him suffering in the flesh, shed his own blood as an atonement, a covering for our sins, a removal of our sins. Let me ask you this. Have you given your life to him? Have you received him into your life? If you haven't, you can do that today. Just ask you to come just as you are and give your life to him. He loves you so much that he died on the cross for you. You know, um, in order to offer sacrifice, it has to be a material sacrifice. In other words, Christ couldn't sacrifice himself in heaven. You know what? He didn't have a body. That's where the incarnation comes in. You know why Christ came in the form of human flesh and was incarnate where he could sacrifice and be hung on the cross for your sins and for my sins. That's why he came. That's why the incarnation took place. But today, just as you are, you can give your life to him. I'm going to ask Terry to come. We're going to have an invitation hymn. And as we, as we sing... Familiar song, just as I am. Just as you are, that's how he receives you. Let me ask you to come today and say, Brother Sammy, I don't understand about salvation all that, all that much, but let me tell you something. You know what you need to know. You know that you're lost without Jesus. You can't save yourself. He went to the cross and did something that you couldn't do and never be able to do. That's save yourself. And the, and the great news is, that's available today. The best news is you can know for certain you'll have eternal life today before you leave this place. So why not come today? Don't put it off. Let's have a prayer. Heavenly Father.
thank you for being with us today and your Holy Spirit speaking to our hearts. We pray for this invitation. God, it's not my invitation. But it's like you crying out from heaven for people to come to you. We know the time is getting late, Father, in this old world. It's kind of winding down. Father, it would be a true time. But until then, help us, we pray, Lord, to, to share the good news of the gospel. That Christ came and he died, he was buried, and he arose again, and he's willing to save people today. And I pray there will be some here today that will give their heart, their life to him by stepping forward, believing the gospel of Jesus Christ, trusting him and nothing else, turning from their sin and turning to him, asking him to forgive them, asking you, Lord, to come into their life and save them as they receive you today. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand together prayerfully, reverently, as Terry leads us. You come. Well, again, I want to thank you for viewing our worship service. If you'd like to know how you could come to know Christ as your personal Lord and Savior, please feel free to contact our church at the address listed. We also encourage you to visit our website. Thank you, and may God bless you.